Welcome to ICIT Fellow Insights. My name is Param Eftakari, a senior fellow here at ICIT, and I'm joined today by Mike Krauss, an ICIT contributor and the Director of Insider Threat Strategies for the Office of the CISO at Forcepoint. Mike, it's good to have you here. Well, thank you, Param. Thanks for inviting us. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So, Mike, um, as you and I both know, there's um, a major shift underway in the makeup of the federal workforce with baby boomers on their way out and millennials on their way in. So what we're going to talk about today is the impact that this change has on security of federal agencies and their uh, networks and devices and data. So I'm going to start off with an interesting figure that actually um, uh, force points um, uh, educated me on last time we were speaking. And that said that by the end of 2017, around 600,000 federal staffers will be ready to retire. And so as we know, these will mostly be replaced by millennials coming in. So Mike, my first question to you is, um, what does this do to how the federal government needs to treat um, policies with regards to um, access to information and systems and devices given um, habits of uh, the millennial generation? Sure. Well, first, you need to take new approaches. I mean, if you look at the approaches of what we've done in the past, it's all been about the technology. I think organizations need to kind of take a fresher approach and not only look at technology, but look at the processes, look at the procedures, look at the training requirements that they have in place today. And they need to tailor those to a changing environment. You even look at since 2012, there's almost been more than 20 government agencies that have suffered some form of significant data compromise or a breach. These breaches were accomplished with the baby boom workforce. Arguably, they were more cautious than our millennials. Currently, a lot of our federal systems are outdated. They're outdated from the fact of the technology doesn't provide customers the visibility. The processes don't provide a flexible process. The procedures are not adaptable. You even look at the way the millennials are hired these days. We, had a, we looked at a study that said more than 60% of millennials won't even accept an offer from a company unless they can be certain that there are no restrictions on access to their social media platforms. So you look at the government today. If you have an aging workforce that you need to replace with millennials, how are they going to be able to do it when they have the process and procedure that limits the access to different social media platforms, doesn't provide the visibility to the security professionals to monitor those activities. To me, that's a significant change in culture and a significant way the federal government does business today. Yeah, and we know that federal government is already challenged with recruiting the best and brightest. Um, there's a lot of competition out there for talent, and this is one additional layer of, of, of a hurdle that could be there uh, which would ultimately prevent the federal government from getting the best best talent. So definitely something to consider. Exactly. If you look at the way the federal government hires and how long it takes somebody to hire, and, you, and we actually look at hiring, but we should look at retaining as well. Because if you look at the way the federal government works, you know, it takes out in, in any company, it takes a significant amount of time to hire somebody and the right person, but also retaining those people. So if you don't have the ability to provide your millennials the access to maneuver between different devices in a secure manner, how are you going to retain them? How are you going to keep those people beyond just one year? You bring them in, you get them all trained up, you give them the processes, here's the way we do business, 
next thing you know, they're off to a contractor or they're off to another organization. You know, so that to me is another key. It's not only getting people initially, but it's actually keeping them. And how do you keep them? So that's interesting. And, you know, on that note, on something you said earlier, you know, is it really fair to say millennials are not security conscious? Is it that they don't prioritize it as much? Is it just the fact that they've grown up with technologies so they're maybe a bit more comfortable and, and because of that comfort level, um, they're, they're less secure? What, what, what's, yeah. the, what's the kind of rationale and, and, and the numbers behind this? So if you look at what they've done in the past, if you look at the gap that we have, I think a lot of the millennials you know, these days, they've had the availability of technology from day one. Uh, for example, even the availability of how they share information is different than what they've done in the past. If you look at the way they share passwords and in information, if you look at the way they share, for example, uh, Netflix passwords or other application passwords, to me that's a significant a risk. That's a significant problem our generation is going to have to deal with because you know, just like you're looking at, for example, you know, if some uh, millennial has is sharing their Netflix password with a friend, okay. You know, that might be something that, you know, well, okay, that shouldn't happen, but it does. And now what if they do if they use that same methodology, that same carelessness to share out other information? You know, not just, for example, if you look at a study we did, we actually saw, it was an interesting one, that 10% admitted to sharing access to their devices and passwords with others. And they actually said 42% of millennials actually use the same password across multiple systems and apps. So if you do the math, you have 42% that use the same password and they share 10% and they provide that information to other people, are they gonna take that same kind of cavalier attitude in federal government systems? So if a system administrator has a database password and then provides that information to somebody else to get their job done? So you kind of you know look at that same culture and how they bring that culture into a federal government work environment. That's interesting. So on that note, what do you think is the biggest fear among um, federal agency leaders as they're looking towards this influx of millennials? Is it that they'll be forced to hire um, millennials who are not Mm. concerned about security, given some of the um, statistics you mentioned? Is it that they won't have the resources to put... Uh, policies and technologies uh, in place to change behaviors? I mean, what, what are you hearing from the, uh, from the federal agencies? So if you look at it, I, I think one of the big difficulties, so you take a look at it from a, like a security office per perspective. You know, they have to find a way to bridge a gap. They have to find a way to bridge a gap between the millennials' desire for increased technology flexibility and a freedom for safe cybersecurity practices. I mean, a couple simple things you could do. You could do training. And I'm not talking about uh, the training of the past, where you're sitting down in front of a workstation and somebody has thrown up a PowerPoint slide presentation, 50 PowerPoints uh, that you have to review in two hours. Because if you're looking at where we're at today from a training perspective, that's not effective. So you have to have training that is fresh, training that is well-messaged and hits the exact use case you're looking at and it has to recur in a two to three minute window meaning that if you're providing training uh provide it in a two or three minute cycle maybe once a month for different use cases uh has to be hosted on the web 
or something in a device that millennials can use and know how to access, whether it's an app or on the web. And training has to be able to be metric, meaning that CISOs, CIOs, leadership need to be able to see the effectiveness of training. So training to me is one of the key points. Also, if there's a, no, if there's a strict no BYOD policies uh, within an organization, that's going to be challenging. I think within the federal government, I think you have to have B, no BYODs. I think that's just something that you know we can't afford that risk because you can't control BYOD devices. So you have to be able to allow access to other information. Maybe it's social networking information, but able to monitor that and be able to get the visibility that millennials are accessing from, from their work environment. I mean, to me, it's more than just one solution, more than just one process, one more than one procedure. I think you have to have more than one technology. I think you have to have like a DLP technology, which to me is more the deterrent technology. I think you need more of a what we call user behavior monitoring, endpoint monitoring, which is observe, investigate. I think you need network controls, access controls as well, you know, giving the right access to data, giving the right access to systems. That could be a network control or an endpoint control. I think you need to have a more complex cybersecurity system in place today than we had to worry about 20 years ago. Absolutely, and, and that's a great segue into the next part of the conversation, which is what should agencies do to mitigate this risk, which is unavoidable? Uh, you talked a bit about uh, training and the, mm -hmm. the, the, not just the importance of training, but um, what type of training will be most effective with this particular audience. Um, you also talked about technologies a bit, which is interesting. Um, can you speak about how um, that maybe falls under, under the umbrella of an insider threat program and how agencies should uh, maybe adapt or modify their existing insider threat programs uh, to um, account for the millennial um, shift? So one of the things that I think we get caught up in insider threats is, you know, who is potentially going to have the highest risk? You know, everybody's always focused on the privileged user. Everybody's always focused on the admin and domain admins. If you look at, you know, the where insider threat programs today, you have to treat everybody as a potential insider threat. And in fact, you even need to treat uh, external threats as an insider threat. Because what we look at from a fourth point point of view, and even the community looks at, is we look at inside threats. We look like anything that gets the inside of an organization. It could be a piece of malware, it could be a user, it could be a, a privileged user masquerading as a piece of a malware. Anything happening on the inside is where we see kind of the leakest wink uh, for any organization. It's the human error. The human error to us is, the, is kind of the weakest link. It's what an individual does when they're accessing information, whether accessing data, accessing systems. And we talked a little bit about uh, security training. And I have a kind of a different stat I'm going to throw at you for training. It's kind of an interesting one. Uh, we had something I said, despite 63% of millennials believing they are knowledgeable about security, 45% actually reported not having any security training at all. And more of 50% of them have experienced some type of security issue in just the past two years. Wow. So you talked about training. You talked about the lack of training. To me, we spend a tremendous amount of money, but it doesn't seem like it's sinking in with the millennials. They, they still feel that they don't have enough uh, cybersecurity training 
uh, human error training, insider threat training. So I think you need to take those steps. I mean, technology to me is a significant piece of the pie, uh, but the processes, the procedures, the documentation, the governance, the proper planning, all that is a necessary part of any successful program. And then training is another piece that organizations need to kind of revamp their traditional aspects of it. What about during the hiring process? Is there a way for um, um, agency officials to mm. maybe try to identify um, less than desired uh, behaviors uh, before you know, they get them into the workforce and then um, kind of learn these things on the fly? <clears throat> I think there is. I think one of the things you can ask, I think this, uh, the study actually, to me, I would pick a lot of the questions out of the study and actually float those into any kind of hiring process. I would ask people about their uh, download habits, you know, downloading of third-party apps. You know, we saw 32% actually download third-party party apps for productivity. That's a question you could ask. I would ask about uh, social media access and how they use their personal devices to access different work systems. I would ask about tw how you download files. You know, we showed a status at 20% download files to personal devices. <clears throat> These are just different types of behavior, how they access data, not only in their personal life, but potentially how in their other life, in the business and professional life. Because one of the things we don't uh, realize is that, you know, the culture. I mean, if somebody doesn't have what we call uh, cybersecurity acumen uh, going in, you need to know that because you need to know if you need to provide additional training to these individuals. Uh, you need to know if they're security conscious or aware of the security principles. And if they are not practicing sound security principles in their personal life or sound security principles in their professional life, it's just going gonna to cause problems when they come into your workforce. So we need to do a better job of screening up front. Now, let's be clear. If an individual has the skills and has the experience and knowledge at a high level or even at a, meets all the requirements, I don't believe that you know, they should be disqualified for not having good cybersecurity uh, due diligence. I think it's just a factor that you need to take a look at it. So once again, you have the visibility of your workforce coming in to help you set the mood and set the culture for anybody joining your organization. So it's just another, you know, like anything else, it's just another piece to the pot. It's just another bit of data that you can use in, in looking at your environment. Well, that's terrific. That's great insight. So in closing here, Mike, for the agency officials who are listening and trying to prepare for uh, this uh, this shift in the federal workforce makeup. What are some high level, you know, uh, the main takeaways they should walk away from after uh, having heard this conversation? One of the main ones is that your workforce is maturing, and I like to say maturing because I don't like to say old, but it is maturing, and the <laughs> current processes of today may need to be tailored to meet your new workforce in the future. So don't put your head in the sand. Don't think that you have everything covered today that's gonna work tomorrow. You need to constantly be recreating yourself, constantly be evolving your cybersecurity processes, your principles. You have to be able to identify when there's a significant shift in your workforce. You need to look at your plan from top to bottom. You need to involve people that have been doing this for a long period of time. 
I mean, if you look at and one of the significant also items is you have to put the budget towards it. One of the questions that came up out of the survey, we looked at, uh, you know, out of the total, I think there was $80 billion this federal government spends on IT, and this was in FY15. We saw that $61.2 billion was dedicated solely to operations and maintenance. So wow. That tells me that organizations need to also shift their funding to potentially help mitigate the risk of an insider threat breach. So not only process, procedures, technology, but kind of putting your money where your mouth is, you know, we have to put some money to this problem. And we have to make sure it's not one-year money, not two-year money. This is money that can be allocated for the long run. You palm it, you make sure it's in the budgets, and that the requirements remain there so it can be successfully uh, deployed and the requirements can be successfully met. So that would be my suggestion. That's great. Well, with that, Mike, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today. It was a great conversation, and, and we'll have you back soon. Thanks, Parm. Appreciate it. Great. And Hopefully thank you have a good audience. day. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.